Cranberry Radio presents CEO Coach, a show custom built to give you everything you need to build your business on the web. From funding the finances, set up the staffing, our CEO coaches will break down the art of business development from the ground up. Now here to get you started are the experts of online business startup management and development, the founders of Outlines Venture Group, Jillian Music and Ann Kennedy. Welcome to CEO Coach. I'm Ann Kennedy, President of Outlines Venture Group and author of Global Search Engine Marketing. I'm here with Jillian Music, my partner at Outlines and co-founder of both Moz and Bread Approved. Together we are serial entrepreneurs. Pivot and thrive more at outlinesventure.com. Hi, Jillian. What are we talking about today? Hi, Ann. We're going to talk about pre-money and preferences. How about that? That sounds really intense. Um, <laughs> why are we talking about that? Because they're comp- um, sometimes obtuse, and an awful lot of people don't get them right. And um, we're supposed to help people get it right, CEO coach. So CEOs who are thinking about getting funded, uh, listen up. Okay. okay. It's, in other words, why making the right decisions on these subjects is hugely important for our CEOs who are listening, correct? Yes, absolutely. Okay, so now... I have questions. Sure. What is pre-money, and how do you figure it out? Now you're asking the tough stuff. Okay, so pre-money is a term used in conjunction with the funding of your company. Got it? Pre-modules, or uh, venture capitalists, to invest in your company, and you set this value for your company. That's called the pre-money valuation. After the investor or the investors put their money into your company, it's valued at the pre-money valuation plus the sum of capital they just put, obviously, valuation. So far, so good, right? You decide on a number, people put their money down, they get a percentage of your company, and afterwards it's called post-money. Seems pretty simple. Yeah. I Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So- I see. I knew you were going to do that. Right. Okay. So here's the deal terms should be confused with 409A valuation of your company. Now, we got three types of valuation. Ask me. I'll bite. What's a valuation? Glad you asked. A 409 valuation is a formal report that tells you the value of your company's common stock. You don't do it necessarily when you're funded one way or another. Usually, it happens after funding, and you're looking to do things like give stock options. So, employee option to buy equity in your company in the future, that's known as the strike price, that's determined today. So as several years down the line, they're going to be able to pick up stock in your company at a price that was set today. 409 valuations are used to set that strike price. So can you see how you want one valuation to be higher and lower? Yeah, yeah, okay, it's getting clear. Okay, so pre-money valuation that's nice and high is like, no, I don't want you to give me half a million bucks on a million dollars. I want you to give me half a million bucks on five million dollars or ten million dollars, right? Then you own a much smaller percentage of my company. But a 401 valuation, you want to be good to your people, to your staff. So you want to say to them that you've got a 401 valuation today, 409A valuation today. Let's get those numbers right. 409A valuation today that says, oh, I don't know, you can buy this stock at about a buck or a buck and a half. And you're going to buy it, say, five or ten years down the road when we have an IPO. That's the strike price. You want that to be kind of low. 
You don't want to have to say, hey, you guys are going to have to buy this at five bucks a head. The spread between the, you know, to, to make the value for your uh, team members, right, is not as good. So you can see how one wants it one way. And is it always lower or higher? Or does it vary with companies? It will absolutely vary. Um, and point of view, right, and the use of your valuation. Now, it's not to say that you, you can play games with it, right? No. Third part, things like uh, cap shares who perform valuations on demand for like 99 bucks. And, and by the way, prices range from under 100 to about well over $10,000. And I understand that the average is about 2000 bucks to the best of my knowledge today, right? Uh, banking institutions will do it. Silicon Valley Bank does it. Many others do it and so on. These are numbers that are created by outside parties. You don't get to play games with your 409A valuation. You can instruct the company that this is the purpose of it, and they intrinsically know that you would like it to be, if you will, advantageous to your people. But they're not going to play a whole lot of games around this stuff. Your valuation is going to come in as it is. Well, that actually makes makes really, really good sense. I'm wondering if we should put a link up to a good glossary of funding terms mm -hmm. on our Facebook page. Do you know of any? Yes, and uh, we sure should because things are getting complicated here. We have 409As, we have pre-monies, we have post-monies, we've got all kinds of valuations. So I like the one that Funding Sage does. It's called FundingSage.com. Uh, we'll put a link up on our Facebook page, so that's Facebook.com slash CEO Coach podcast again facebook.com slash forward slash right ceo coach podcast i'll stick a link up to that one and there's another really good one that's uh, more concise it's by our friends over at pitchbook and so again pitchbook.com we'll put both links up there you'll have really good uh you know uh, stuff on your uh, facebook page there for a glossary now pitchbook describes pre-money as the following Pre-money valuations refer to the value that investors place on the company before they add their capital. Note the difference between that 409A valuation and the pre-money valuation. The 409A valuation is determined by a consulting company hired by the startup company with the goal of providing an advantageous strike price, among other things, you know, for offering options to team members and so on. But the pre-money investors... Note that you don't actually get to set that valuation. Okay, got it. So, why should we, as entrepreneurs, be talking about this when we don't get to set the number anyway? Ah, but here's the thing. You kind of do set them. I know, complicated, right? So, we influence them. We advise them. We set expectations, right? We work toward goals and milestones to achieve that kind of stuff, right? So, what I'm saying is we do get to push on it, and as we do so, um, we can set a valuation, for example, and go out to raise capital, but the backwash will be from your investors, and they will negotiate that. Angels, sometimes they just go straight out and go do it, and sometimes there are convertible notes around about that. At the moment, you can set something out. Just don't expel. VCs, in particular, are known to they might a million bucks, and you've got to come up with all kinds of ways to prove that you're worth $10 million today. Okay? So let's look at what, uh, along these lines, a billionaire investor and one-time presidential candidate, H. Ross Perot, has to say to entrepreneurs about pre-money. He said, and I'm quoting, say, zero. He said, 
Don't play the pre-money, post-money game. You are not liquidating the company. You are organizing resources to pursue an opportunity, and one of those resources is cash. What do you mean that? Right. Absolutely brilliant, right? Organizing resources. He's quite right. You're not liquidating the company. You just want to organize your resources, and cash is only one of the resources you're going to need, right? So he goes on to advise that if all works well in your startup and your pitch rings true, you can get cash on exchange for 25 to 30% stake in the project. Now, uh, we'll put a link to that as well so you can read the entire blog on it. It's called CEO CapNet, um, a blogspot.com uh, you know, uh, link there. So we'll put that on our Facebook page. But 25 to 35% of the project, you should be able to exchange your cash. Now, in the end, you're going to get some kind of a pre- and post-money number, but that's how it works. Excuse me. 25 to 35%, isn't that a bit high? Yeah, yeah. What allowance does it leave for future dilutions? I mean, how many uh, entrepreneurs have we known over the years who come out when they finally do their major exit and they have nothing in their company? Yes. Well, yeah, sometimes that does happen. We don't know actually that many with nothing at all unless they've had a bad exit, right, in which they kind of had to just liquidate the darn thing. And, yes, that happens, and we're going to get into that when we talk about preferences, and that's really how a CEO gets dinged or a um, a founder gets dinged. But it does seem kind of high, but I'm not sure that he wasn't referring to kind of the entirety of what goes on, but even if you do that as your first uh, VC funding where you say, okay, I've got 30 Thirty-five percent of my company uh, belonging to others. I have to figure out how other. Um, over time, dilution will kind of smooth out edges on that. But if you've got a billion-dollar exit, right? It's to be having less than just you know. I mean, just have you know a few percent basically. On average, by the way, uh, CEOs of really major exits do not exit with like fifty and sixty and seventy percent of their stock. More like ten and fifteen percent. So Understood. think about that over time, right? It, it's reasonable. Okay, so, but more than that, Ross Perot's logic is a little bit thin, and yet there's also a nugget of value in there. So let's dig in there. It says, now, if you put a zero valuation on your company and you only focus on the percentage of ownership, it's a pre-money and a post-money valuation that emerges, right? I mean, sooner or later, whatever the guy does put his money down on, he's going to have to do it on some kind of a number. Right? He's not putting down $100,000 unless he knows that the company's worth a million. He's not putting down $10 million unless he knows the company's $50 million or whatever. Right? They, they don't just do it openly. So it does emerge. So really saying here is don't focus on those numbers. They will emerge from the transaction itself. But focus instead on the percentage of ownership you're giving. All right? And as he says, to organize your resources. How much is that money worth. Now, I do know a number of entrepreneurs who have kind of mucked that up, right? And in their intransigence, they did not take money when they needed it, or they didn't take a partner who could have brought in that money or made the sales and so on, and the whole thing falls apart. I just met one the other day who was happy to say so again. Well, thank goodness for radical candor. I think we have a handle on this. We need to take a break for our sponsors. And when we come back, let's talk about preferences, what they are, why they matter, and how they can affect your decision about whether and from whom to take money. This is CEO Coach. We'll be right back. 
More on how to get your business on the web with CEO Coach after this. Are you paying too much for your paid advertising or have you quit altogether because it seemed like a huge waste of money? Studies show that companies waste 25% of their PPC spend on average. The web marketing experts at wmetraining.com can show you how to make your AdWords account a lean, mean converting machine. Whether you're just starting out or want to take your skills to the next level, we have a class for you. Contact the web marketing experts at wmetraining.com. Hey, this is Danny Sullivan to talk to you about Bruce Clay Incorporated. They've made Inc. Magazine's list of growing private businesses and have exhibited and sponsored at my conferences since the very beginning. You've seen their search engine relationship chart or you've read their SEO code of ethics, so you know their SEO experts, but did you know they can help you with PBC, web analytics, web design, marketing strategy, promotion, and branding? Yep, get everything you need for success in the online marketplace. You can check it out from the professionals at Bruce Clay Incorporated. For over 10 years with offices worldwide, they've got the answers you need. Check them out today at BruceClay.com. Is your website hacked? Is your website displaying error messages or loading slowly? Even if there are no signs of malicious activity, your site may still be compromised. Websites, like cars, require regular maintenance to perform at their best and not leave you stranded. At Fjorge, our website maintenance experts can help you assess which one of our maintenance plans will best support your needs. Visit FjorgeDigital.com or call 612-877-3840 and get the support and protection your website and business deserve. That's F-J-O-R-G-E Digital.com. We're back with Jillian Music and Ann Kennedy on CEO Coach, only on Cranberry Radio. Welcome back to CEO Coach. This is Ann Kennedy, and I'm here with Jillian Music. Today we're talking about pre-money and preferences. So, Jillian, help me understand, what is wrong with preferences for follow-on investors? And what are follow-on investors anyway? Why should our listeners care about these folks? Okay, so preferences are a critical part of the funding you know, agreement, right? Briefly, a 1x preference means that the investor will get her or his money out on sale or IPO of this company before anybody else gets a dime, right? A 1x preference. Whatever I put in, I'm going to get it back before you even get a dime. Now, if I'm the first investor to do that, there was a great deal of risk when I put the money in. You were very early stage, maybe even idea stage, whatever it is, right? All the risk is there. We have no idea if this thing's going to fly. By the time you get to the later investors, they're putting down larger sums of money, but they're taking a lot less risk and they're investing it for a lot less time. Remember, they're showing up several years later and you're that much closer to your sale or your IPO. So, this 1x preference with the very early stage, I don't have a problem with that. Okay. Now, if the preference is 2x or 3x, it means that the investor who puts down, say, a million bucks on such a preference will take 2 million bucks or 3 million bucks, right? 2x or 3x upon the sale or the IPO before anybody else gets a dime. So you can see why with follow-on investors, in other words, later stage investors, 
you don't want to have that sort of stuff happening, right? It will wipe out the early guys. In some cases, depending on how much your company sells for, it can mean that you'll get nothing at all. This is the situation where people often get stuck with nothing at all, including founders. Here's an example. Yeah, here's an example. The Thousand Angels, remember, co-founded by Alejandro Carmades, who was a guest on our show not too long ago, so folks can look that up. Um, He's also a co-founder at OneVest, so check out Alejandro's work. Now, he says, and I'm going to quote here, let's say you invest a million bucks in Company X at a $4 pre-money valuation. Assuming they sell in five years for $50 bucks. remember, you put in a million bucks, you come up with around 10 Okay, you started at one million to four million. Now it's a fifty million company. You're coming out with about ten, a healthy ten x return on your million bucks. Okay, yep. not bad. And not a bad. Okay, I take it. Yep, absolutely. So now, let's assume that the company goes on to raise another ten million at a $20 million valuation a year or two after you invested, right? That's the follow-on stuff. That's later. Great, right? So in theory, your equity value is at that round. You're feeling like it used to be five. Right, it used to be a $4 million company. Now it's a $20 million company. Woohoo! Yeah, not so fast. Oh. Okay. Yeah, not including the prof- which can often be as much as 8% annually. So that's kind of like saying I'm going to absolutely get interest of 8% annually offered with a 2x liquidation preference, and that's really not uncommon in tight funding markets, but I'd say, uh uh-uh, don't do it, all right, but we can get into that later, right? You're now looking at significantly reduced returns for the same exit. Here's how it would look. If the company sells in five years, million bucks, same thing as before, right, 50 million bucks, you're not getting a 10x return. Those new investors, they claim million-dollar preference, plus the additional $10 million bucks of the remaining equity for participating preferred equity. In other words, that, that interest rate, if you will, and their liquidation preference. And now you've only got 20% of the remaining $20 million bucks or $4 million bucks. Now, it's not awful. It, you know, one to four, you've got a 4X, right? But man, that was a 60% reduction in your cash return. And even worse... If the exit is for $20 million or less total, you're going to end up with absolutely nothing, even though you invested at a very reasonable $4 million pre-money valuation. So what happens is hugely important. As an early-stage investor, you better be keeping your eyes open for it, or your money just goes away. Yikes! That's not only scary, it's still a bit complicated, Yes, it is. So what I'm going to do, because we don't have a huge amount of time, and we could certainly write an entire book on this, and folks have, right, we're going to get some tips here. Early stage funders of preference. This is the angels, right? It's a preferred return or a reference. I don't have a problem with one liquidation preference, right? I put in 100000 bucks. Give me my 100000 bucks out before other people go take their money. That's not bad for early investors, right? It's not a huge sum of money. 
And it's reasonable because the investor at the early stages is taking a great deal of risk. Now, for later stage investments, it's really important that you keep them on that one X liquidation preference or no liquidation preferences. Either they believe in what you're doing and you're really going to make a big amount of money, right? Or they don't really have any faith in what's going on. And all they're doing is kind of carving into something that isn't really going to make it that big. And maybe somebody else will pick it up. I mean, they're already expecting a fire sale. That's awful. You don't actually want that kind of investor, right? So I'm saying for later stage investments, it's really important that you keep them to that 1x liquidation preference to help everybody else stay whole as well, okay? Reasonable enough. Early stage guys, they can get a 1x. Later stage, yeah, nothing or 1x. All right, now, that said, I should point out that I've personally sold some of my own shares in a startup at a 3x preference to a VC who wanted to participate. But that's not the same thing, right? So I sold my portion to somebody else, and it was just part of a set of shares that I owned in a company, right? So having sold that stock, the balance of my stock in that company is now encumbered. It means that I can't sell it, I can't leverage it in any way until the company in question goes public or has a sale. And then, if the VC doesn't see at least a minimum of a 3x return on their investment, that means the payment they made to me, they get to take more of my stock to make them whole. In other words, I could relinquish as much, I will relinquish actually, as much stock as it takes to give the VC that 3x preference, and I could, right, it's possible that it will take all of my stock to get that 3x preference, and it's possible that they will never even get there, even if I give them all my stock. Okay, now these are all kinds of stipulations in there, right? So, listen, there's... It includes the number of days at which the stock would have to trade for 3x or more than what they paid for it during a certain number of days following an IPO should the company go company uh, should this company go public and so on. There's all kinds of things: time, money, number of days, all kinds of good stuff. So, I look at it this way: I looked at the entirety of what you know stock I owned in this company. I looked at the price I was about to be given for all of the stock, and I decided it was good. Why all of the stock? Because it's reasonable. It's a reasonable possibility that I could relinquish all of the balance to meet the terms of the agreement. That's why I did it. Okay? So that was just a a thought process you put in your own head, considering Correct. that the price you were getting for whatever it was, half or whatever, um, was actually all you were ever going to get, and you were good with that. That's correct, and that's the way founders should look at it if they're going to make side agreements with VCs to take a portion. In other words, to take some of their risk off the table is what they call it. Say, all right, I'll sell you a portion of my stock. They have to think about, do I get enough that if you know nothing else happens, I'm good with this number? I was good with the number. I sold some stock, and I said, okay, that's fine. And if I never see another dime out of it, all good. And if I ever see more dimes out of it, well, that's great, that's gravy. But you have to live your life like you're never going to see any more of it. Sometimes it's a big risk, sometimes it's a small one. Depends on, you know, how much you're selling and all of that. So here's the thing. What I just described is a side agreement, yet one more type of investment. Usually this will happen with a founder who is taking risk off the table, but it can happen with any investor who then sells their stock to someone else, as I did. 
Okay, so one investor sold their stock pre-IPO to another investor. The deal stipulates that the only recourse this VC has is to take the remaining balance of, in my case, my shares to meet the 3x preference. That's either on a sale or an IPO. And that's the limit of my liability. The company, most importantly, has no liability in this matter. That's a really important issue. Any side agreements agreements must never affect the others in the company. So in this case, having preferences, not a problem decision as an individual investor in a company. The rest of the company remains whole. That makes perfect sense. We're going to take a break now, and then I think, Jillian, you've got a couple of top tips for handling pre-money and preferences. I absolutely do. This is CEO Coach. We'll be right back. More on how to get your business on the web with CEO Coach after this. Is buying something that is made in the USA important to you? How do you know that it really is made in the USA? Certified Inc. is the only supply chain audit company on the planet which qualifies country of origin labeling. If it's important to you as a consumer to know where the products you buy and use in your own home come from, then it's also important for your customers. Visit us at madeinusa.net and find out more. Go to madeinusa.net because it's that important. Great websites today need expert web design and development and need to be e-commerce ready and mobile friendly. But building a marketable and profitable website can be an uphill climb. Ready to make your new website or replace your existing website? Think Orange as the new way to get in the black. Orange Hill Development works with Fortune 500 companies and offer the same top quality development service at a fraction of what other providers charge. Brands like Absolute, Carlsberg, and Nestle trust Orange Hill Development. Find out why you should trust your website with Orange Hill. Contact Orange Hill for a consultation today at orangehilldevelopment.com. Looking for a better way to get more traffic and interaction to your Facebook page? Imagine Facebook interactivity on your page like you've never seen. Introducing your new Facebook marketing fix, So Social, the new and revolutionary way to easily manage and automate your Facebook contests and sweepstakes. Create a fun, easy-to-win contest by writing a simple Facebook post. Watch your post go more viral and generate loads of interaction. Track your traffic and generate email lists with ease. So Social is mobile-friendly and complies with Facebook terms of service. Let So Social give your Facebook page some flash today. Zoom over to zosocial.com. We're back with Jillian Music and Ann Kennedy on CEO Coach, only on Cranberry Radio. Welcome back to CEO Coach. This is Ann Kennedy, and I'm here with Jillian Music, and we are talking about pre-money and preference. And we've really run through uh, uh, quite a bit of the uh, descriptions and um, I and definitions of these terms that I confess I sometimes find very confusing. And we're going to put some links up to glossaries on our Facebook page so people can go look at them and uh, learn more about that. But meanwhile, what are your top tips for this? Absolutely. Yeah. I think this up. The top tip about pre-money is that you should be thinking about pre-money valuations as not really the central issue of your investment, right? That's what Perot was really trying to tell us. Think instead about gathering assets to make your company grow. And then you must determine how much of your company is this money worth in total and work toward that goal. 
that means that you know you're going to take future money. So this money that's the first one coming in has to be part of that whole thing. How much are you going to give away? If you give away 30% of the company in the earliest round, while that, and we'll talk about that another day, right, we'll smooth things out a bit, you will be giving away 60 to 80% of the company before you exit. And again, if you have a billion-dollar exit, well, it's all good. But you figure out where you're headed, put those numbers in place, and say, this is the sum that I'm willing to give away, the percentage of my company. Certainly, pre- and post-money valuations will emerge as action take place. So you kind of, it's very, uh, uh, Stephen Covey, you start with the end in mind and work your Correct. way back. So <laughs> is really good wisdom. So the second one is about preferences. Try to hold everyone to preference. Interest preferences complicate things. Liquidation preferences even more. It's not that I'm entirely against it. It is to your application and, and whether you should do it, but keep it simple is number one. And number two, this concept of requiring more than a 1x preference only in rare instances would you want to work with an investor who does not have in you and your team that you will really bring this through to the finish line that they must insist on these evidences because what they're really thinking is, yeah, this isn't really going anywhere, but we could still make a buck on it because we'll pull all these preferences. Think about well, that mindset. Right. And that mindset, doesn't that come back to what we've talked about a lot on this show about uh, uh, making decisions based on fear or desperation rather than um, making a well-thought-out decisions? Right. You're, if you're operating from fear, you're likely to take money at two and three and maybe even more, uh, you know, X preferences. In other words, giving away a tremendous amount. And what you're really saying is you're working with an investor who thinks, well, if I do, I'm going to get to a really big amount where I would just take my money out. So knowing they're not going to get where I would hope they would get, I'll put my money in and then I'm going to clear everything out so nobody gets any other money. Do you want to work with an investor with a mindset like that? Be careful. Absolutely not. I'm reminded of uh, my old friend Bill Turner that I heard him advise a CEO once, be strong, don't lie down and show him your belly. Absolutely, absolutely. So think carefully about who you want to take money from, how you're going to take money, and get really comfortable with the concepts of pre-money, post-money, different kinds of valuations, and where they sit in this concept of acquiring the assets you need to build your company, get where you're going, and who gets preferences when, where, and how much. And I want to circle back to just one mindset that you mentioned twice in this show uh, that I think is really, really valuable. Think of the cash as one of many resources to be managed. It's absolutely true. You're going to, I mean, the cash will help you to get the talent. Finding that talent is important. Finding distribution channels, operating them, uh, finding strategic partners, all kinds of things come into play, right? If you have hard goods, you're going to be looking for manufacturers, designers, prototype developers, you know, shipping uh, things, you know, expediting and so on. It's all kinds of things. It isn't just about the cash. The cash certainly enables a great deal. So put enough value on it that you're willing to give away enough of your company to make it happen, knowing that it can't, you know, a company can't happen without the cash and operating, you know, capital to move forward. But it is only one piece. Take a look at everything. See how much grease this is going to give you. 
And that's it for this Monday at CEO Coach. We'd like to thank our producers at Cranberry Radio for their support. You can download these shows at cranberryradio.fm forward slash shows forward slash CEO dash coach. You can also download them at iTunes, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, and many other places around the web. You'll find links and more on facebook.com forward slash CEO Coach Podcast. Stop by and hit the like button so we know you were there and tell us what you'd like to hear on CEO Coach. Thanks for joining us. I'm Ann Kennedy. You can find out more about how we help companies launch, grow, pivot, and thrive at outlinesventure.com. The opinions expressed are those of the hosts and their guests and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of Cranberry News Marketing and Cranberry.fm. Rebroadcasts or retransmission of this content without proper consent is prohibited 